Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Welcome back to Bible time. We're here for the glory of God to exalt Jesus Christ, to read and believe his word, study it. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. The Bible tells us to study the word, to continue in the word and doctrine. It says that the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. There's no other book in the Bible, uh, in the whole world that can make you wise unto salvation, only the word of God. The preacher in Ecclesiastes said of making of books, of many books, of making of many books, there is no end. He said, that which is hath been already. And that which will, he says, that which hath will be hath been already. There's nothing new under the sun. This is all, we've all been through this. If you think you've got an original book, you just haven't found the one somebody else wrote already. And that's just how it is. Life is, life is on a, in a lot of ways, just a repeat cycle. Almost everything in life is just a repeat of what's already happened. The history repeats itself. Governments do the same thing over and over again. People do the same thing over and over and over and over again and never learn anything. If you just study history, you can see it's a pattern, a cycle, and the people just are people, and people do what people do and say what people say and think what people think. We have all these high-minded ideas about ourselves. We think we're really big, and we think we're on this. Here, get this. Get this. We think we're on this progressive climb of evolutionary change towards a utopian godness where we're going to ascend into some higher life form that's the basic human ideal whether they say it that way or not some people think we're going to turn into energy some people think we're just going to go into a state of nothingness nirvana some people think that we're going to just keep on getting wiser until we become so wise that we just become wisdom itself some think that be, that we can be good and do nice things to each other and eventually just have a happy world free from sin because of enlightenment of the human mind and through the human will and human reasoning and human intellect we can achieve some kind of state of perfection. And it's the same exact junk that's been around since the start of the earth. It's the same exact junk that the devil told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Ye shall know good and evil, and ye shall be as gods. He says, ye shall uh, be as gods to know good and evil. And there in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, we'll go there real quickly before we read our text. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now if you just look at that passage, there's two things happening here. The devil is attacking the veracity of God's word. He's attacking the honesty of God. He's calling into question and into doubt the word of God. And in doing so, he stumbles up this woman who then misquotes God. And she comes in with God's word, ye shall not eat of it, and adds in her word, or maybe it was her husband's word. Maybe Adam told her, honey, don't even touch it. Maybe he saw her looking at it. Maybe this was a pattern. You ever think of that? Maybe she walked up to that tree and she looked at it. Oh, that's pretty. And then she walked up the next day, oh, it's so pretty. And maybe she walked up the next day, oh, it's so pretty, and started to reach out. Maybe she reached her hand out there, and Adam says, honey, don't even touch it. Get away from that thing. What are you doing? I don't know. But in any case, whatever happened, however it happened, whether it was her idea or whether it had come from Adam himself or wherever it came from, she added to the word of God. And she said, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And that moved the whole line so that later, whenever she disobeyed God and defied the command of God and reached out and took of the fruit, as the Bible says, she, she had already gotten a misconception about God so that whenever she took of the fruit and didn't die, she thought she'd gotten away with it already. And the fear of God was gone and she took a bite of the fruit, 
disobeying the command of God because she had exalted the commands of man and the thoughts of man and the philosophies of man and the rudiments of this world. She'd exalted these things to a level equal with God's word. And instead of submitting herself to God's righteousness, she went about to establish her own righteousness. And you can find those scriptures in the Bible, not about Eve, but about us, all of us. That being ignorant of God's righteousness, we've gone about to establish our own righteousness, which is not according to the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that is what we're looking at in Colossians. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now, we didn't get to study it right now, but when we studied chapter 1, or it didn't get recorded, but when we studied chapter 1, and we were talking about Christ being the head of all things, and we talked about God's order and God's direction for mankind, and God's order of authority that God made man to be the spiritual head of the house, and that God did that. He says there in 1 Peter that the woman, or if I got that reference wrong, forgive me, but that the woman being deceived was in the transgression, but that the man was not deceived. So the man did it in a, with a willingness. The man did it knowing he was disobeying God, but the woman was deceived. Now that doesn't justify the man. It doesn't make him any better than the woman. But the reality is that what God says there is that the woman was beguiled and that the devil has an ability to do that very easily with not only all of us, but especially with the weaker vessel. And that's what God calls the woman, so you can take that up with God if you don't like it, you bunch of feminists. You've got a problem with God. You've got a problem with His Word. You've got a problem with who He is. And that's your whole problem, and that's why you're eating your own babies nowadays. Now we get back here to Colossians 2, and he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joining and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And we've covered these verses before. You go back and check them out on the podcast. And I encourage you to do that. Get your King James Bible out and follow along and study it out for yourself. Take notes, write down the Bible verses that we go over and go back and read them and read the verses before and the verses after and see what the Bible is actually saying and make sure that I'm not beguiling you with enticing words. It's your responsibility to get in the Word of God and believe it. And you're going to stand before God and give an account for how you handled God's word someday just like I am going to. The Bible says here in verse 7, Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So right here we have this charge being given to the church of of the Colossians, there in Colossae, this charge is being given to the church to follow Christ and to follow Christ alone, to not be led astray by deceivers, to not be spoiled through philosophy, vain deceit, traditions, rudiments, tradition of men, rudiments of the world. He says, and not after Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We studied that yesterday. Here's our next verse. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead, he goes on, we'll give some of the context after that verse, and you being dead 
you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would reveal the truth of your word to our hearts and give us a desire, a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, a hunger and a thirst after God, an illumination to your truth. Lord, because the natural man receiveth not the things of God, they are foolishness to him, neither can he understand them. Lord God, I pray that you would help us, Lord God. Help us spiritually, Lord God. Open our eyes, illumine us, Father, in Jesus' name, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We worship you today, and we give you all glory in Jesus' name. Please back down hell, bind Satan in Jesus' name, for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, here in verse 12, we have buried with him in baptism. Then we have, wherein also you are risen with him. And then we have, how, through the faith of the operation of God... And then, who hath raised him from the dead. Four basic parts that this goes into. And the first part here is baptism. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 real quick and take a look at baptism. This is, prob- this is the most succinct, basic account of baptism. As far as I'm aware in the whole Bible. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 36. In the word of God. If you have the Word of God, you can follow along with me there. If it's not in your Bible that you call a Bible, then you ought to ask the question, why am I missing part of this? And the reality is that it's because your Bible's been edited by men. And you need to find yourself a good old Bible. Get yourself a good old King James 1611 revised authorized version Bible. Now, Acts 8, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now we'll get a little bit of this story here. And uh, let's, let's just read two more verses and we'll get the story. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus it, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot, verse 38, read along with me, verse 38, pay close attention, look in your Bible and make sure that I'm saying this the way the Bible says it, if you can. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now here, Philip, the evangelist, had left Samaria, as where a great work of God had taken place, and he had been sent by the Spirit of God, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And here he met a man of Ethiopia. The Bible says in verse 27, An eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So here you have a man that, was, that believed in God. He believed the word of God enough to go to Jerusalem to worship. And this was God's original intention for the Jews, that they would be a kingdom of priests, that all the nations of the world would be able to come to them, that they would be a repository of God's word, a repository and a dispensary of God's word to the whole world, to teach the world the righteousness and the holiness and the just demands of God, and that God was also a merciful God, a long-suffering God, forgiving iniquity, and pardoning sins based on his word and faith in him which is all through the Old Testament all the way back to Genesis from Genesis to Revelation this has always been the same God the same gospel the same faith the same mercy the same love the same grace the same judgment the same wrath the same condemnation Jesus Christ 
is God Almighty, and Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament, and He ever lives today. And He's going to live forever, and He always has lived. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. So here was this Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning in verse 28, and sitting in his chariot read Esaias the prophet. Now we know that that is Isaiah. And then it says in verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Now we read in Isaiah 53, um, just a couple days ago, I can't remember what day that was, but we read Isaiah 53, and we also looked at the book, at the Gospel of Luke some, and compared the two, and saw how this was speaking of Jesus Christ. Then Philip, the Bible says in verse 35, opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now you'll notice here that in Isaiah 53 it says that he was cut off. Here in Isaiah 53 as it reads what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, the rendering (coughs) is somewhat different. And you'll find that throughout the New Testament. I still believe both. And I believe both are the perfect word of God. And I believe that you can't get away from both because God put them both in the Bible. Now, a lot of times what happens in the Bible where people think there's contradictions, it'll say what people said, and that doesn't mean that that's what God said necessarily. you got to watch out for that. Just like when Mary said that her that thy father and I sought thee sorrowing, she said to Jesus Christ, thy father and I sought thee sorrowing, that is the word of God The Word of God says that Mary said that. But the Word of God says that Mary said something, and what Mary said is preserved by God, and it was inspired by God to write what Mary said, but that does not mean that what Mary said was doctrinally accurate. You say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Yes, we can, and yes, we should. The Bible also records in Luke chapter 4 what the devil said to Jesus. And the devil was rebuked by Jesus, and what he said was not true, and it was wrong. If you go over to Acts chapter 8, you right here where we're at, Simon tries to buy the Holy Ghost, and it records the whole conversation. What Simon said was not accurate doctrinally, but that Simon said it is true, and God perfectly preserved what he wanted of what Simon said. I also want you to understand, God doesn't record every word verbatim in every place that something is recorded. God records just enough, just what you need, nothing more and nothing less in every place in the Bible. There is not one extra word. There is not one extra sentence. There is not one missing sentence. There is not one missing word in the Word of God. God put it all in there for a reason. Even Numbers chapter 7. Go study it out. And pray and ask God for wisdom and He will show you why it's in the Bible. And if you don't know why I bring that one up, go read it. But it's the word of God. And every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. And he says, Thou wilt keep them, O Lord. Thou wilt keep them. And I can't remember the verse exactly. You can look it up from this generation forevermore. Something to that effect. And that would be just my remembrance of it and not the very word of God. You can look it up. And I ask you to do that, please. Get in the Word of God and check it out for yourself. So here, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading in Isaiah, and Philip opened his mouth and began at the same, began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus, which is also proof that Isaiah 53 is directly speaking of Jesus Christ. That is the answer. The answer to the Ethiopian eunuch's question was the preaching of Jesus. In answer, he preached 
Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, if I got those verses tangled up about which one's out of the, your version, then forgive me, but just look and note and see if all those verses are there. Also note if your version actually says what the Bible says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now here on the, upon the declaration of faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Philip commanded the chariot to stand still. The Bible says they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, biblical baptism, the word baptism means to immerse. It means to submerge. And of course, we've all heard the old Greek pickle thing. Now, you don't need Greek to understand the Word of God. You don't need Hebrew to understand the Word of God. God has perfectly preserved His Word, and He has preserved it not only in the Greek and the Hebrew, but we have the preserved perfect Word of God in English in the King James Bible, and you can trust it. That old word baptize was not in the English language. We did not have the word baptize. So when the translators came up to this, they were in other places where it talks about to baptize, they had a decision to make. Now this is a decision that, can, that most translators are confronted with in our day and age. Help me, Lord Jesus, to accurately represent you. Fill me with your spirit even now, Lord God, for this moment and this work, and help me, Lord, to mind you. Now the translators had a choice to make. They could either make the Bible subject to the language or they can make the language subject to the Bible. Most translations make the Bible subject to the language and they dumb down and take away from God's word in order to cater to the lacking of a, of a certain language. That did not happen in this case. Instead, the translators took the word baptizo, or however you say it. I am not a Greek scholar, and I don't pretend to be, and I don't speak it, and I don't understand it. But they took the Greek word baptizo, or something like that, and they made it phonetically a new word in English that we say baptize, or baptized, or baptizing from. The different tenses all there, but the baptism, baptizing, baptized, that word was not invented by the translators. It was, if I get this right, transliterated. They took the word of God in the Greek and they made a new English word to express a thought that could not be expressed in the English language before. And that word is what we say, baptized. Now that word in its root meanings, the old pickle thing, you say, what's that? Listen, I hate, I hate it whenever a bunch of Greek scholars stand up and start correcting the word of God. And they start pulling out pickle recipes and everything else to try and prove God's word is right. You don't need it. I'm going to bring it in just for the sake of the fact that it's been mentioned so many times and it's and it worth bearing note, but it is not something that proves or disproves, but it just gives you the idea. They found the old pickle recipe in Greek where they used the word baptizo to dunk the pickle, to put it down in the vinegar. Now, people preach whole messages on that, and I'm not. Again, you don't need the Hebrew and the Greek. Most of the time when people start whipping out the Hebrew and the Greek, get ready for some beguiling, enticing words, some philosophy, some vain deceit, traditions of men, rudiments of the world. Why does somebody preach in Latin anyway to a bunch of English speakers? Why would anybody address people in Latin? Why would the Pope speak in Latin to people whenever he's speaking to people that don't know Latin? Why would a priest say the Mass in Latin? There's only one reason. They don't want you to understand it. They don't want you to know what they're saying. That's the only reason. Why would you speak to somebody in a language they don't understand? The only reason is so that you can act superior to them and bring them under subjection to you. And that's exactly what Paul is warning us about here in Colossians chapter 2. 
Now, this word baptism means to immerse, to immerse, to dunk, to submerge. Now, even more importantly than even the definition in English, the Bible defines the Bible. And we can understand what this baptism is physically by looking at the doctrine that is represented by baptism. And that is more powerful and more clear than any other way of finding truth in the Bible. Whenever you compare scripture to scripture, you can see what the Bible means when it says something. Let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible defines finds the Bible. So here in Colossians chapter 2, it, after saying that you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, it says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, if we run over to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, quickly in your Bibles, it says here in verse 4, or let's look at verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, nowhere in the Bible does God give us an absolutely explicit order of a baptismal service where he says, say this word and do this thing, hold your hand this way, plug the nose that way, sprinkle water or don't sprinkle water, and there's a reason for that, and that is that there is more to baptism than the ceremony. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.13. 1 Corinthians 2.13. You see, baptism, according to the word of God, is an outward declaration of an inward change that has already happened. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The inward baptism is more important than the outward baptism. And it says here in chapter 12, 13 of 1 Corinthians, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink unto one spirit. The spiritual is more important than the physical. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, baptism then, by doctrine, is a burial with Christ and a rising with Christ. Ultimately, what matters is, have you been buried with Christ spiritually, and are you risen with Christ spiritually? Paul would tell the Corinthian church, I thank God I baptized none of you, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He goes into great detail on that. Go to 1 Corinthians 1 later and study that out. The baptism saves no one. Baptism cannot regenerate a man if it is only a baptism of the flesh. Baptism must begin with the Spirit. And when the Spirit baptizes a believer into the body of Christ, regenerates them, they are born again by the power of God, then the outward baptism is an outward declaration, a testimony, a testifying of what has happened inwardly. Now, that means that the process of baptism physically does matter because we want it to accurately represent what has happened doctrinally, spiritually, in the inner man. And therefore, the act of baptism physically should reflect the doctrine of what is happening by the baptism of the Spirit into one body. The Bible says you are buried with Him in the likeness of His death, that you should be raised with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. That is why people for thousands of years have baptized by immersion, going down into the water together, taking the baptismal candidate and asking them to confess Christ publicly. And when they confess, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then the preacher 
the whoever God has doing that baptism. It doesn't even have to be a preacher. Call it the officiant if you want. So the man doing the baptism then proclaims them buried with Christ and risen with Christ and dunks them under the water and raises them up. You hold your hand up, hold it to the side, hold, plug their nose, don't plug their nose, hold them under for one second, hold them up for, for, under for five, but bring them up before they die. It doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that the baptism accurately reflects the doctrine that God is teaching us because the shadow and the type needs to reflect the image of the true things in heaven. And God Almighty baptizes the believer by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ by burying him with Christ and raising him unto newness of Christ spiritually. And when that's been done, it behooves us to follow in Christ's footsteps by obeying the gospel that where Peter says, repent and be baptized, and on and on. We're commanded to be baptized. And there in the book of Acts, they over and over again baptized the believers. You should have a desire to be baptized, but the baptism must follow the spiritual baptism or it is a dead shell. It's nothing but an empty shell, nothing inside of it, nothing that can really matter. It would be better to be baptized spiritually and never baptized physically than to be baptized physically and never be baptized spiritually. And I'll give you a man who was. Go to Luke chapter 24. There's actually, I think, 22. Go quickly, quickly, quickly. I'm trying to quicken myself to or make myself go quicker too here. I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to be respectful of the Word of God more than I want to be respectful of your time. I just don't want to waste it running on my own rabbits or trails or something like that. Oh boy, I had the wrong reference. Let me find it real quick. Here we go. So Luke 23 and verse 39, we read this the other day. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, on, that is on Christ, read the context, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And that's faith. That takes some faith to look at a man dying on a cross while men are reviling him and mocking him and have beaten him and ripped out his beard. You want to talk about no form or comeliness that we should desire him, that we should have beauty to be drawn to him. If Christ wasn't beautiful before, he sure wasn't beautiful then. Beaten beyond description, beyond recognition. And this man looks at that broken, bruised Savior of all mankind, especially them that believe, and he looks at that man and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's some faith. That is some faith. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now the centurion saw what, the, uh, the centurion saw what was done. When the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Now, the Gospels will tell you these other men on the cross were, had their legs broken so that they could go ahead and die quick. You see, crucifixion kills by suffocation. Hanging on that cross in that way makes it impossible to breathe. And you have to pull yourself up using the nails as your handles that are stuck through your own arms. You have to pull your body up to breathe if you're crucified. And eventually the man is losing blood. He's in a state of shock. In fact, that state of shock prolongs his life. 
they put him into a state of shock so that it slows down his body, his bodily system so that he can't die as fast as he would have. It's a horrible way to die. And they whip him and they beat him and they hang him up there in a state of agony. And that man, in just trying to survive, has to pull himself up on those nails to breathe. That's what Jesus went through for you. That's what he went through for me and for our sins. And there that thief was trying to breathe. And they came along and they said, it's the preparation of the Sabbath. And in order to worship God, they sent the Roman soldiers to kill Jesus Christ. Make sure he was good and dead before the Sabbath. What a mockery of hypocrisy. But in any case, they found that Jesus was dead already. And a soldier with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out water and blood. And there Jesus Christ was proven dead. And then they went and they broke the legs of the two other men. So that they could no longer push themselves up and breathe. Now I want to ask you a question. Here's this malefactor on the cross. And he's about to get his legs broken. He looks down at, at big Mr. Nice Centurion in his red suit. And his metal tie with his big long spear. And he says, oh, Mr. Centurion, I just believed in that dead guy over there. And I believed that he would save me, but I need to get baptized to make sure it works. Would you please take the cross down and unnail me and dunk me in water and nail me back on and stick the cross back in the ground before you break my legs so I can go to heaven? You think that happened? That'd be ludicrous. The Bible gives us no reason to think that such a thing happened. The reality is the man died. He just died. And he didn't get baptized. But he had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God <coughs> had baptized him into the body of Christ. And he was with Christ in paradise that day. Now... The Bible defines the Bible. The Bible defines baptism. You have no right to tell God what he means when he says something. And if you read a bunch of books and fill your mind with things where people, where other men have said, the Bible says this and this and it means that, and they don't give you scripture. They just give you their opinions and it defies other scriptures, then you are being spoiled, and you are being beguiled, and you are being turned away from the faith. <coughs> Baptism, in order to accurately represent what happens spiritually, both people should go down in the water, the preacher and the person getting saved, that, or that has gotten saved already, to be accurate, and they go down in and the person that has been saved declares their faith in Jesus Christ. And the preacher dunks them underwater. And for it to be accurate, he takes them down backwards because that shows that they have no works of righteousness of their own that can merit salvation. It shows that they are utterly dependent upon the word of God and faith in the word of God. So they let the preacher, if it's going to be the best way, it would be the preacher who's preaching the gospel and he takes them down backwards and they come up frontwards and they come up holding on to that preacher not because they trust in that man but because they trust in the word of God that was preached by that man. And they come up shouting hallelujah. That'd be even better. Risen with Christ. You keep them down, you'll ruin the picture too. You'll have to have a funeral next. You gotta bring them back up. I've seen some people who thought they were going to get kept down there. <coughs> Amen. Moving on. I met an elderly lady the other day, and I'll tell you her story real quickly. <clears throat> her parents had taken a pilgrimage to Vatican City, Rome, while they were while she was in the womb. She was being she was expectant, or her mother was expecting her. Now their family was a staunch Catholic family, very religious. <clears throat> Not just the mother and father, but the whole family. If I remember right, she said it was Easter weekend, and in, but and they were planning on attending the. I think she said the midnight mass, the midnight vigil. I think she called it, and they were going to be there the night before Easter morning for the late night mass. 
<clears throat> some special service there at the Vatican. But instead, they were in the hospital because that little girl was being born. And when baby's time comes to come out, that baby is, comes out. So there's the baby. And so there they are at the hospital. And news got around the Vatican <coughs> about this couple that had come on pilgrimage and just had their baby. So that Easter, they got a special blessing from the Vatican. The Pope himself christened that little baby, which they call baptism, sprinkled some water on that baby and declared it saved. <clears throat> now you say maybe he didn't declare it saved. Go and read what they say. Go and read what they're saying. Read what it means. Read what they say it means. Now that, es that Easter, the Pope baptized her. When she got home, her family wanted to get in on it. Her uncles and aunts, they'd missed out on the baptism, so they took her back up to the local path Catholic church, and, and the priest baptized her again. He sprinkled water over her again, so she had two baptisms. Well, this lady, she grew up going through life. She ended up in Missouri, and this is where I met her over here in Missouri, <clears throat> Mountain Grove, and she had been baptized twice and she was very religious, attended the Catholic Church regularly until all of a sudden one year something happened. I don't even know what, but the church had no priest. The Catholic Church was without a priest. And she, being very religious, did not want to miss out on her religious duties, but did not want to travel very far. So in any case, she went over to another local church there in the area. And this is what she told me. She said, I had never understood the Bible. They didn't want me to read the Bible. They didn't teach the Bible. And for the first time, I heard the Bible being taught. I understood for the first time why Jesus did what he did and why he died. And I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and was baptized. Now, dear lady, if you're listening to me and I misquoted you, please forgive me and get a hold of me and tell me what, I, what part of that story I told wrong. But to the best of my knowledge, best of my remembrance, I've told her story the way she told me, omitting a few details for sake of brevity. Her first baptism by the Pope meant nothing biblically. It meant a lot to her family. It meant a lot to a lot of people. It meant a lot to all the people standing around ooing and aahing over that little baby. But biblically, it meant nothing. And that means that to God, it meant nothing. It had absolutely no effect whatsoever spiritually. She was still in the condition the Bible calls dead Dead in trespasses and sins. Her second baptism with her family also meant nothing biblically. It meant a lot to her family. They probably traveled all around and had a big party afterwards. And they saved the date and they put it in scrapbooks and they took pictures of it and meant a lot to them. But it meant nothing to God. It's not man that you need to please. It's God. But Jesus said that many people would not declare him openly because they love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. And unfortunately, that's where we're at today. Most people love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, I didn't ask her this, but when she got baptized the third time, which was a biblical baptism based on her expression of biblical faith in Jesus Christ, and that baptism, by the way, meant something biblically, and it meant something spiritually, it meant something to God, but I didn't ask her how many of her Catholic family members traveled all the way out to come and see that baptism and throw a party for that one. It probably meant nothing to most, most of them. I bet the Pope didn't show up. Come on. That baptism meant nothing to the Pope. Now, if you got to go up, that Pope's dead and gone, but if you got to talk to that Pope, before he died, and tell him that the girl that he baptized on Easter Sunday in Vatican City had gotten saved by the grace of God and got baptized by a little nobody preacher in a backwoods town because she believed in Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have thought a thing of it. Not a thing of it. If anything, it would have been insulting. 
Now, the spiritual baptism into the body of Christ by the Holy Ghost qualifies the individual for a physical baptism in water and anything else is a perversion from Satan of baptism designed by Satan to deceive and to take people and give them a false assurance in a fake religious action that has no spiritual benefit so that they will go to their grave trusting in a false religious activity instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And in doing so, they will go to the lake of fire and be cast therein by the commandment of Jesus Christ himself. And by the operation of the angels. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2 and finish this up. So spiritually we must die with Christ. We're dead in our sins. But we've got to die the rest of the way. We've got to die by repentance. By turning from our self-righteousness and our own goodness and our own religion and our intellect and the teachings of man and their traditions and their philosophies, their vain deceits, the rudiments of this world, the enticing words and everything else and turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ in repentance. That's dying with Christ so that we can be buried with Christ. To be buried with Christ is to be separated The burial represents a separation. That which I once was, I no longer am. I've been buried with Christ so that I can be raised with Him. The separation is a separation unto sanctification. The death with Christ is repentance unto salvation. The burial is separation unto sanctification. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, so that we can be raised with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection and that is quickening for service you have repentance unto salvation separation unto sanctification and quickening for service hallelujah hallelujah let's look at our verse buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him how are we risen with him through the faith Of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. Faith means trusting the veracity of the one speaking. It means believing God. Taking him at his word. The Bible says here we're buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Not of man and not of works lest any man should boast not of religion, not of a ceremony, not of some kind of thing that you go through, some initiation act. No, but through the faith of the operation of God. That means salvation is of the Lord. And you are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. And that final part of that verse is the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. Go to Luke 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles and their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was to come. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, 
which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And the furlong is far long. How far long can that ox plow? So about threescore ox plowing furrows long. That's 60. And they've walked along this way and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Are your eyes holden today? That you should not know Christ? Can you listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and not see Christ? Then your eyes are holding. I pray God will open your eyes to the risen Christ. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the, the things which are come to pass there these days? In these days. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. They said that our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had seen, also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. And beginning at Moses. That's Genesis chapter 1. God used Moses to pen Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. That's the rest of the Old Testament. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you say Jesus Christ is not in the Old Testament, you call Christ Jesus a liar. Be careful. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, blessed it. He took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? Well, he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now, that he could vanish, that he could walk through walls, that he could do all these things. Some say proves he was not bodily risen. The Bible says the opposite. And we'll see here that God gave certain infallible proofs that Jesus Christ was, Christ was bodily risen from the dead. We do not have time, and I did not study it out and get the references to give you the references this morning where the Bible teaches that our resurrection body that we will have through Jesus Christ, through faith in the operation of God, through that faith in God, that the new body that we have will be a glorified body fashioned like unto His most glorious body. Look it up, find the exact word for word in the King James Bible. Read it and believe it. This body is unlike our body in the sense that he can go through walls and vanish. He has no pain or suffering in that body. It's a perfect body, but it is a physical body, and you'll see that right here. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh 
and bones as ye see me have. Hallelujah. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Now the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the life of a believer is worth an, an entire series of messages. But our resurrection with Christ begins spiritually in the spirit that is dead in trespasses and sins. And that's our next verse deals with that topic. So we're going to deal with it, Lord willing, tomorrow. The spiritual resurrection of man that happens at salvation. Secondly, the resurrection of God in the life of a believer happens through the filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis where I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life of Jesus Christ expressed through the soul of the believer, the spiritual regeneration, overruling the mind, the will, and the emotions, bringing the body into subjection. And then we see glimmers of the resurrection of the body, and only glimmers through the anointing of God whenever he touches his witnesses, which he's about to talk to them about here in verse 49 of Luke 24. And we are wrapping up. We are really close to done. But he says here, or before we read that, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the spirit begets the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the soul through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that begets the resurrection of the Holy Spirit of God, the glimmers of it in the anointing. But the full realization of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a believer will be that when we see him, we shall be like him, the Bible says. And he will change us into, change our body our mortal body into an immortal body. And he'll give us a new resurrected glorified body made in the image of his own glorious body in the likeness of his. Forgive me for misquoting. Get those verses studied out for yourself. Verse 49, he says here, well, let's just back up just a couple of verses and read this out. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He said, thus it is written, by the way, that's the Old Testament. There wasn't anything else written at the time. And he said, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and it came to pass well, he blessed them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Where are you today? Have you been buried with him by baptism? Have you been buried with him by baptism, by operation of God, by the baptism, by the Holy Ghost, into the body of Christ? I'm not talking about the physical baptism right now. Have you been buried with him in Christ? Have you been buried with Christ by the Spirit? Are you born again today? Follow Christ, no matter what else men might say. Amen.